Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, hello, everyone, and we are back for the Shop Podcast. We are bi-coastal. In fact, we were always bi-coastal, aren't we? We're tri-coastal um, today in that we have Charles Firth and Grace Tame joining us from Adelaide. Hello. Hello, Adelaide. Grace Tame on Writer's Week duties uh, and Charles Firth uh, appearing at the Adelaide Fringe. We may even give him a plug later on in the show if he's nice. Uh, and David Milner, as ever, joining us from the bleak city down in Melbourne. Thank you. I am not at a writer's festival. I am at home with a sick boy and I got vomited on yesterday. Oh, well, I mean, figuratively, you probably get vomited on quite a lot anyway. So, you know, may as well bring it into the real world. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> During the week, we, we got this whole uh, Red Peril scare from the Herald. The, the Herald actually had a front-page article saying that China had already invaded or was about to invade? In three years' time, oh, right. that, that we need to prepare <laughs> for war. Uh, and it was the Sydney Morning Herald who had, well, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age cherry-picked a panel of experts uh, on national security for warning us that in about three years' time, China mm. is going to uh, launch a full-scale war with us. Were they specific and about the, a date? Was it like a horror movie thing where it's yeah, three it, years it, from it, well, tonight? It's like the, it's like the it 2012 like end they, of eras. They've got a calendar. Um, yeah. And they've marked a specific date. Um, it, it, you know, they've made sure that it doesn't clash with Chinese New Year. Um, and they're going well, they're invade, invade Australia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my my question is first of all to Dave, which is, it was my understanding that the Communist Republic of Victoria had already been invaded by the communists. Like, well, ha- has that the, not already happened? Well, I don't want to break the bad news, but we're fine. Like, we'll be okay down here. You guys and the rest of Australia. Oh, you're the collaborators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're the, um, right. the fifth column on the inside. <laughs> and the Herald Sun was actually onto us all along. But it is an extraordinary... The, the graphics of yeah, the front The graphics page. are extraordinary. And someone had put up on Twitter the very similar energy of uh, the comp, like when there were the, all of those planets that were represented with communism taking over mm. we're all coming to get you <laughs> it's kind of reds under the beds except this time they're really armed like i i it seems to me that i mean i'm with paul keating on this entirely this is not trying to be an apologist for some of the chinese ex- eg- egregious kind of human rights violations but this idea that they are the ones who are being belligerent when they're entirely encircled by american bases when you've got the rhetoric coming out of the warmongers from the US who, you know, it's an interesting thing to say that it would be an unilateral and illegal invasion of Taiwan that would require a global response when spookily previous unilateral and illegal invasions such as, oh, I don't know, Iraq in 2003 was completely fine. The rhetoric around of this is so overheated and so counterproductive um, and is being led by people who have an ideological position and in some cases a financial position in 
defense contractors. <laughs> it's like to me, how is this helpful? Um, and how is this analysis not the kind of overheated rubbish that Paul Keating called it out as being? I'll read, yeah. I've just got Paul Keating's response here. I'll just read out a few key, cho- key choices. He says that today's Sydney Morning Herald and Age front page stories on Australia's supposed war risk with China represent the most egregious and provocative news pre- presentation of any newspaper I've witnessed in over 50 years of active public, public life. That's that's not half a statement. That's like all out there. That and it it was. I saw it, and I've I spoke last on last week's podcast uh, about the Cold War, and I've been watching. I rewatched the the McCarthy trials, and I just thought, oh my goodness, you know. And the the graphics themselves, like you said, Joe, they are evocative. They they're almost pulled straight out of early nineteen fifties. United States, um, you know, propaganda files, uh, and well, it's deliberate. It's- that that sort of imagery still holds that sort of power because there is lasting memory of the last. You know, this sort of imagery was used in the Vietnam War. This sort of imagery was used throughout the Cold War. Uh, the style is it's designed to trigger these anxieties in us, isn't it? Well, there's two, there's two co-occurring phenomena that I'm witnessing and this particular piece that the Sydney Morning Herald put out yesterday, which they also repeated on their Instagram, is a classic example. So there's hysteria and then there's censorship. Interestingly, Sydney Morning Herald had this post up on their Instagram and they had the comments section open. and at one point I saw, I was traveling yesterday, and at one point I saw that there were about 200, and f- almost 250, it was 249 comments, and many of which were holding them to task for the hysteria, for the fear-mongering uh, of, the, of this piece, which, again, you know, there were national security experts, but they were a limited panel. You know, and you've got to well, ask the we can question talk about who they actually were, and and as well. and are they and are they are they reflecting the uh, reviews of all national security experts, or just the views that align with the uh, the, the powers that be at the organisation of nine, uh, on the board of which is uh, the former treasurer of John Howard's government. Peter Costello. And that's a legitimate question. And it's not actually a question of politics. It's a question of ethics. Well, I think- You know, and and at, at one point, though, they had the comments open. Then they had the comments turned off because most of them were questioning and not in, a, not in an outraged way, though, either. There was nothing- um, there was nothing beyond what we what we see um, in this sort of new day of a, of a uh, an increasingly democratized space where the the everyday person has an opportunity has access to express their concerns with with uh, narratives that are proposed that aren't necessarily with narratives that might be disingenuous or that that need further context. And to see that censorship as plain as day, coupled with that hysteria, it really did echo, you know, McCarthyism, in, in my well, eyes is, at least. And I think you're absolutely right, Grace, in the sense of the, the so-called experts that they quoted and, and that they've provided all of the analysis are associated with 
organisations and think tanks that come from a very specific point of view and indeed are funded by various specific organisations. So there's the Centre for Strategic and International Studies, which is funded by the military-industrial complex. I mean, you feel like such a kind of weird throwback to use that phrase, (laughs) military-industrial complex. It is undergrad You know, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, you know, Raytheon, all of them um, have put money into the Centre for Strategic and International Studies and it is also directly funded by the US government um, and state and client states, including Australia and Taiwan. So there is a conflict of interest there when it comes to providing neutral analysis. That that organisation has taken a stance and we need to know about that when they are providing insane kind of red alert, frenzied comment in two of our key mastheads. Similarly, um, the Australian Strategic uh, Policy Institute, that too is funded by US-aligned governments and the military-industrial complex. I mean, we need to know these things um, when we're having this hysterical commentary presented um, as fact that we need to be preparing for war in three years' time. Um, I mean, as Paul Keating is saying, like, this is not the diplomatic approach that one would take well, if one wants to avoid war. Let's, yeah. let's quote, is what we would want him to be doing. Let's quote Paul start. Keating once more on this point, Joe. Yeah. We'll have one now. Yeah. yeah, I'd always love hearing from Paul Keating. Locking five people up in a room for a day, asking for an articulation of their views or biases on China's attitude to Australia does not represent either revelation or responsible journalism. That's right. But for me, I I wonder whether it's sort of, it's about the Herald and the Age flirting with this sort of weird Fox News style sensationalism. Not flirting, Charles. They're in bed. (laughs) Yeah, they're already embraced. But, you know, like... It is a good point, though. And it's it's been happening not just on this issue. Like, there's just been a real lurch to the right. And, I mean, Chris Ullman is now, I think, the the political editor now of that whole group, isn't it? No, Chris Ullman's gone walkabout and he does children's books now. Oh, is he... Well, hang on. How come Chris Ullman... Was that, that's a frightening thought. <laughs> Does he really do? What is it? Like, actually, that might be a fever dream. I'm not sure. Hang on. That doesn't sound right. We'll, we'll fact check that one for next week. Anyway, that's our topic. I'm disturbed. You know, like, what, what is going on at the Herald that they sort of, like, are they trying to set we, themselves Charles, up? Just for a point of clarity, let's not call it the Herald because we've been talking about the Herald Sun for a little yeah. while. Let's oh, just, sorry. Yeah. Decimate. What's going on at the nine newspapers where. They're sort of lurching into this territory. What, what do they think they're going to get it's, out of it? Are they just trying to make more space for the Guardian and the New Daily to come along and, and take it all does feel like they are. It does feel like they are vacating the ground of relatively sensible-ish commentary to the Saturday paper in the Guardian and even us, kind of. Um, it's it's <laughs> mostly interesting, us. which is, which is in, mostly yeah. us, which is insane. But this is interesting because, like, throughout the last couple of years, I've noticed on Twitter there has been a lot of, you know, we've had a go really hard at Murdoch, but there's been an increasing type of, you know, reply to my stuff that you need to look at the age a bit more too. They're kind of fucked now. And I guess we've always held back on that ever so slightly because, I mean, there is a slight distinction between the two, um, which perhaps it's no longer valid. But this front cover is so similar to something that the Herald Sun did about... 12 months ago, which was is even better. It was a Photoshop mock-up of Flinders Street Station with smoke all around it and fighter jets attacking it. And, you know, with the 
the sh- the shitty color grading hue of an absolute shithole like all over Melbourne kind of thing. And this is just almost exactly that without a made up panel of experts ranting. And the thing is, is it's actually worse because, you know, in the day, the Fairfax papers were not like this. And so there's the sense of disappointment Mm -hmm. that you feel that we have come to this with what were once kind of respectable papers of record. And now to spew out this populist bullshit. Well, in fact, it's, it's, it's pseudo populism um, because I don't actually believe that this is what the majority of Australians believe and it's not the kind of policies that they think that Australia should be pursuing. I mean, it is the kind of Peter Dutton, you know, we must bang the drums of war to prepare for it. Well, we can't have peace unless we, you know, prepare for war and hear the drums of war. And it is ludicrous and counterproductive. Uh, and, you know, I, Bring back Paul Keating, I say, and yet Labor is sort of embarrassedly kind of hurrying him off the stage so that he doesn't say anything that they might have to um, speak against with any coherence. Now, I just uh, want to return to the thought about is Chris Ullman now a children's book author because uh, (laughs) we've just looked it up and we can confirm that he he is, but he's written a book. It would sound like he's written a book, I think, about his own sort of voice because it's it, it, and his own sort of writing because it's it's called the I'm sorry when asked if there were similarities between dealing with children and politicians he said he would let other people draw their conclusions there are no similarities between politicians <laughs> and children none you give children who <laughs> who you actually have a chance to instill the values of education you have a chance to, to show them a better way, to protect them, to safeguard them. You know, uh, uh, what? Is his book about um, his book male called- and female toilets in daycares? What is it, what is it called? It's called Dark The Toilet. Useless Tune, which like literally sums up his life's work. <laughs> like, it's perfect. It's an autobiography, I think. <laughs> so anyway, that means that someone else that is terrible is running the nine political coverage. Is it Peter Hatcher? Yes, it is. Yeah, right. Well, Peter Hatcher certainly running the with a well, he, they're running. Yeah, they're running the nine papers coverage for sure. Yeah. I'm so annoyed. I know Chris Ullman writes children books, and I like, can't remember my parents' birthdays and that sort of thing. It's just, it's dumb. It's interesting too. You know, that's for the political editor, former political editor at Nine, to say a line like that. You know, let people draw their own conclusions, you know, in relation to politicians and to children when the (laughs) nine mastheads are still such culprits when it comes to the reporting of child sexual abuse. Still we see it romanticised so much. That's not letting people draw their own conclusions at all. In fact, that is influencing in a particular direction uh, the way that people should conceptualise child sexual abuse, which is never under any circumstances anything other than abuse. And it's just, it's such a strange, strange statement. It's also really meek, Children isn't it? Children and politicians. It's, he it hasn't is even meek. answered it properly. He's been like, you draw your own conclusions, mm. sitting above it, because he never asked any aggressive questions in politics as well, I guess. <laughs> He's just answering it like a politician. I'll answer this it softball question about a children's book mm. and, you know, just be meek about it because that's what I do. 
Yeah, fuck off, Chris. The writing of children's books does seem to be where a lot of people go to die. <laughs> it's like ex, sort of ex-footballers and ex-politicians embracing, and indeed failed celebrities um, embracing the writing of children's books. I mean, surely our children deserve more. Yeah, like, I'm not <laughs> rushing out if they, if, to get it. No. My Let's get Chris no. Newman's kids' yeah. book. <laughs> I just Here's really want my child cold. to grow up you know, miserable and angry about cold. stupid <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> I want a maladjusted five-year-old. <laughs> Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. So I suppose my question now is, given that we're going to go to war in three years, where what like what are the good stocks to buy? Like what, what how how do we profit? <laughs> Is that well, right? Lockheed Martin, they say. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like Boeing, you know, just yeah. follow where the uh, the ASPE and the CSIS it's, have It's bought. actually ammunition. That's the thing that's the most profitable because you need, always need more. Books written by you Chris Yorman. Hmm. Um, I mean, if <laughs> yeah. I feel, feel if you throw them hard enough, um, they're hardcover books, I assume. Yeah. Is it going to be the ammunition, though, in a war uh, – such as would be declared by China against Taiwan. Um, we're not really going to be. I mean, what it, like Paul Keating's great quote was even all of these submarines that we're apparently going to get through AUKUS whenever that finally comes is like throwing toothpicks at a mountain. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what is it that we are going to be actually able to produce uh, that is going to be in any way relevant? Um, drones seems to be the, the military hardware. Okay, long on drones. That's a uh, financial advice long from, on drones. from uh, um, Joe Dyer. Bullets I think you should have got in before Ukraine. Um, yeah, that would have yeah, been helpful yeah, at that point. Right All I know is don't buy Twitter stocks. Definitely don't buy Twitter stocks. Well, Did you see we... what happened overnight with Elon Musk um, oh. humiliating publicly a former employee that he'd fired with muscular dystrophy? What? Oh, no. Oh, God. Has he, has he become that Trumpian well, that he's actually... I mean, it's he's already had the pedo guy moment when literally the most yeah. popular person on the planet, the divers trying to save 19 children stuck in a cave, called them a pedophile. So I don't... Yeah. I don't know about his judgment in some of these moments, but yes... Um, it had happened over the course of about 24 hours. Someone that was employed at Twitter, um, no, lo- you know, got locked out of the system. Email, uh, tweeted at Musk for you know just some clarity on whether he'd been fired or not. And then Musk proceeded to ask him what his job was, whether he deserved it. Kind of ri- ridiculed this man uh-huh. that was asking in g- good faith questions, and then. Yes, it's just, it's just an absolute train wreck for a CEO of a company. Yes, and it, the, like, it, the wonderful story that uh, came out this morning is that – so this guy had been employed by Twitter because he sold his company into Twitter and his company had about 50 or 100 uh, people. It was like in, in that sort of size company. And the normal price – uh, to sell a company like that to Twitter is about fifty to a hundred million dollars. Like that's how they do the valuation, right? But he 
did this strange deal with Twitter where he went, no, no, I'm from Iceland. I want to pay tax on it. I don't want the capital gains tax concessions. So I'll get you to just pay me a salary each year to buy my company from me, right? Uh, but if you ever sack me, you just got to pay the rest of it immediately, right? So then right. Elon Musk turns around, sacks him publicly on Twitter because the reason why he tweeted at Elon Musk is he was saying, look, I'm unclear. Am I sacked or not? I haven't heard from anyone in a while. I haven't had access to my email for a few days. Like, what's going on? And Elon Musk gave him permission to sort of talk publicly about the internal HR sort of things on on uh, on Twitter and he explained what had been going on and then Elon Musk basically went, oh, this guy, he can't even use his hands. He's supposed to be a designer. He can't even use his hands. So I haven't really sacked him because how can you sack someone who's never been working anyway? Right, that was his. That was the joke. That was the line, right? And the whole point is, and then he disclosed, "Oh, this guy's got muscular dystrophy." Now you're not allowed to. Do, you're not allowed to use the files from HR to then, you know, like publicly sort of disclose medical conditions of your employees. I, I don't know. You know that no, is actually a law. <laughs> This has, yeah. like, got kind of yeah. echoes of Alan Tudge kind <laughs> of a, vibes. Oh, I think it's, like, more, it's more like Alan Partridge, isn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it and, and so, but the, but the hilarious consequence is, so he's now, you know, clearly in writing, uh, sacked for his disability, completely illegally, <laughs> on, in writing. Although uh, Trump, uh, not Trump, what's his name? Musk, Musk. has actually Musk. deleted some of the more illegal tweets. That he wrote, and he's a bit late. Like, people have screamed yeah, out yeah. this. And so, but now t- Twitter also now has to pay 50 to $100 million, whatever the f- remaining amount is, which will be in the ballpark of 50 to $100 million, to this guy in one fell swoop, like due today, due within 14 days, right? Yeah. And, and Twitter's been having troubles paying its suppliers. Like it can't get like, – tr- like Musk was in the London office over the weekend trying to sell all the office pot plants to his employees to raise cash. Like that's how dumb <laughs> Twitter is nowadays. I mean, it, it, uh, Twitter has been refusing to pay their Amazon – uh, bill their Amazon services bill because like, that's all their IT because they don't have enough money they owe them about seventy million dollars and they finally agreed to stump up ten million dollars after Amazon threatened to pull all their advertising from Twitter um, and so they went oh, okay we'll pay you ten million dollars I don't know whether tr- uh, sorry I keep on saying Trump Musk. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know whether Musk has got the fifty million dollars he needs to. Um, pay this sacked disabled guy. This sacked or that he's been kind of illegally kind of releasing information about on his own platform. He's going to need a lot of people's $8 every month for Twitter. Well, I think $8 has come. only raised about $20 million a year thus far for those $8 kind of subscriptions. So I'm going to miss Twitter. I am going to miss Twitter. The, the guy who got sacked, there were some great slap downs from him because he was explaining it all and he was going, like, you know, in a big company, you're not supposed to do that. Even in a small company, like the, the one that Twitter <laughs> is now under you, asking, like, you're not really supposed to do this. It's really. It's worth uh, catching up. The, the name of the guy. What's the name of the guy? Hully. Uh, I yeah, am yeah. Harold Ua. Hully. So Hully. I, I'm going to yeah. read that with it's some a um, enjoyment. And it will go super viral until it gets throttled. Elon Musk said the 
yeah, the reality is this guy who is independently wealthy, did no actual work, claimed as his excuse that he had a disability that prevented him from typing yet was simultaneously tweeting up a storm. Mm. And then... And then he go. Then the guy Halley just responds with this sort of terrible story about how he discovered when he was in his early twenties he had muscular dystrophy and the slow decay of his body. And <laughs> That's oh, full on. It's just, I mean, it's just yeah, full on, really good. So yeah, I, I mean, at this point, I am considering paying eight dollars a month just to keep Twitter alive, just to see more shit shows like this. Well, I think it's it's starting to grind to a halt. There's something like I think there's only oh, two thousand employees left and falling, as we can see from mm. uh, overnight one by one, they're being shed individually now. So I love there is going to be a certain point where it just grinds to a halt. The outages just become longer and longer. There are these am- amazing articles in the New York Times about how Elon Musk had fired seventy five percent of people, and Twitter was still working really well it hasn't changed anything nothing's broken and it's just it's falling apart it's yeah notifications don't work it doesn't load properly sometimes pictures don't work sometimes you just can't tweet randomly it's an absolute shit show plus the um the new time there's been six six major outages since the beginning of this year so which is like never happens with the big Also, they're, they're trying to make two-factor authentication a, a, a bonus feature that you have to pay more for. And so there are a whole bunch of high-profile accounts that have, that will very, you know, very soon no longer have two-factor authentication. So I'm sure that's going to be another interesting one for Twitter's, like, non-existent troll team to just cope with. Two-factor authentication is for cowards. you got to you got to raw you gotta live a little. Internet, just one password. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to understand the the context. Uh, it's Elon Musk is sort of deliberately not providing a lot, and it seems like this man has. He's 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 explained that he does have capacity to type because he obviously typed this thread. He's but he's got limited capacity, and and this is the this is the thing that um is sort of. It just sort of reeks of ableism, and it's interesting because Elon doesn't Elon Musk does say that it. he's autistic. Yes. So Elon Musk, as somebody who has says that he's autistic, and, and I assume he has a diagnosis. Does he have a diagnosis? Is there uh, clarification on whether he has a diagnosis? diagnosis? I don't know. If ne- if Elon Musk is neurodivergent and actually understands the hard graft of everyday living for a neurodivergent person, um, I have a diagnosis which took over a year. Um, and the psychologist who uh, uh, and worked with a you know a, a team beyond just herself um, who who worked on that diagnosis um, had been I'd been a patient of hers for many years before that so very familiar with me um, uh, you know and and I was like it, it took like interviewing um, uh, primary school teachers members of my family everything um, if you know what it's like to be autistic and the battle of that every day, you would understand that um, the needs of uh, people with both uh, visible disabilities and invisible disabilities um, are sort of essential needs. And this man has clarified that, um, you know, he's what he's sort of um, what, what he's able to offer. And uh, it just seems as though Elon Musk is, again, like it's, it seems... Yeah, it's madness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm. it's like he's like 
you 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 you've got a guy like yeah yeah okay he might be tweeting up a storm, but he's he's it's not that he can't type. Mm. Um, he's actually explained what his capabilities are, and if his needs are met, he can. Um, he can rise to the occasion. Like anybody who's got a disability, you know, usually in most cases, if you actually attend to their needs, they can they can rise to, to most occasions like most human beings. Mm. It's just that, you know, the, the world is set up for um, able-bodied uh, neurotypical types and their needs are serviced. And in a lot of cases, the type of relief that is needed to service the needs of people who are disabled doesn't even exist um, or they're in this case diminished or dismissed or mocked. Yeah. And it just seems a little bit like there's a lack of a co- there's lack of context here and obviously we're all commenting as people who don't know the the mm. full entirety of this situation but it seems like the man has sort of provided what his capabilities are and there's a lot more to the story that we don't know. Well, I think well, the, the big so, take you know, you out don't, from the first story... Of all, first of all, you don't need to no, do that, that publicly. No, is an asshole like, and like does all this stuff kind of publicly. Yeah, and you don't, get to, be the, also, you don't get to be the richest person in the world it, by being a kind, empathetic person that's really good to everyone around him. He's just Every time he has a moment to show his true self, yeah. he does. Also, interestingly, for Elon Musk to accuse... The cave divers of being pedophiles is so rich, considering his father Errol had a child with his stepdaughter, who he raised oh God, from he the age of four. I did not know that. Okay, so why don't you just check your own? Yeah. Did you know stuff first? Just completely and laterally that the other cave diver is now going on that SAS show. That's like a bold move too. Craig McLaughlin is also going on the SAS show to talk about redemption arcs for Craig McLaughlin. I saw that. Oh, my God. It's like. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you my Craig McLaughlin story, which um, won't get us into any legal trouble, (laughs) but shows you what a dick he is, which is that I was once on a uh, Virgin Blue flight down to Melbourne. I think it was for the Logies, actually, (laughs) back in the days when uh, I was successful. (laughs) And and Craig McLaughlin was on the Virgin Blue flight. And remember, I don't know whether you remember, but Virgin Blue used to be this fun brand. Yeah, yeah. Where... you're you're probably too too young for. Uh, to I'm know certainly this, old enough Dave, to remember but, when Virgin Blue was and, going and gross. fun. Yeah, colour movement. Yeah, yeah. And so what they did is they went, oh, we got Craig McLaughlin on board. Hey, Craig, why don't you come up to the microphone and say a few words, right? <laughs> and so he did, and he sort of did a a few sort of things, and you sort of got a Ugh. sense of this guy who desperately needed attention. You know, like he was just flying yeah. is horrible enough as it is. He then. Proceeded. This is honestly true. I was sitting next to Chris Taylor, and he he will attest to this exact. This is what happened. He then proceeded to lead the whole. That's right, because he was doing Rocky Horror Picture Show right. at the time. He was all he um, seemed to do. And he though, proceeded to, to like he would be once he left. Yeah, Navy, he would only pop up when he was doing Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, that Doctor Blake thing as well. Sorry, go on. And 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 so he he led the whole cabin in some sing-along of a song, uh, right? Time Presumably or something. Yeah. Picture show, right? And it was sort of like, it was jolly, but it was sort of like, okay, yeah, now, you know, go away. And um, oh, no, and then, and then this is honestly true, he said, oh, let's oh, do no. another song, right? And then, and by that time, everyone was like, like he hadn't read the room, or hadn't read oh. the cabin. 
And it was so cringe because he sort of started this song. Oh, Nobody no. was singing along. Yeah. <laughs> it was so embarrassing and he had to just well, keep going. Well, that's the thing. Like, how oh. do you cut your losses when you sort of launch into this song? No one's joined in. It's like going for the second, you know, verse of Happy Birthday or something. It's like, no, no. <laughs> oh, Craig. Well, yeah, I mean. Hip, hip. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it does seem to be like I can't. I'm surprised that networks are rushing up to embrace Craig McLaughlin, even seeing him tortured via the SAS. Are show, you I though? Think is an excuse are you to though? Him. I mean, we we can redeem anyone in Australia. We brought Pauline Hanson back onto breakfast television after she committed election fraud and was just generally a racist asshole. We can redeem yeah, anyone in this country with our mainstream media. Catapulted her back into the Senate where she has taken up residence um, ever since. I'm, yeah, I mean, all you have to look at is recent recent cases, you know, of the the man who, who perpetrated child sexual abuse against another man, a 14-year-old. He, he committed penetrative abuse, raped a 14-year-old and didn't get any prison time. He got a, oh, yeah. got a suspended yeah, sentence. Oh, yeah, I read that. I mean... Seriously, Australia, are you are, are you all right with that? Like, how can you? How can we? How can we seriously? We've done a we've done a lot in many ways, and I think the conversation and um, the some of the legal reforms that have been driven have seen a, a seismic shift um, that is still underway. Um, but that is just it's just appalling, you know. And again. Pedophilia remains the most underpunished crime in mm. Australia, and and I just I hang my head in shame when I see outcomes like that, um, and you know when I see again the the narrative redemption arcs of um, of perpetrators um, all around whose credentials are highlighted while survivors' behaviour is continually spotlighted it is dragged out it is chastised it is reduced um and it is what is put on trial uh, and we do not it's because we do not value um education highly enough um our value of education is is slowly uh being diminished and if we if we properly put put that higher up on our list of priorities um, we would understand the harm um, of of the way that we frame things, um, you know, or the ha- the harm of framing things in in the way that we we often do, and and the harm um, of 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 yeah of the way that we we sort of have perspective and um, proportion currently. Yeah, I mean that fellow that you're talking about there. So he was framed very much in the media as being a Collingwood super fan, which I know is kind of criminal behaviour enough for some people, Irrelevant. but you know, is trivial relative to the crimes for which he was eventually convicted. And the idea that given how few convictions are actually secured, that when one is indeed secured, that the punishment is so lax, um, and as you say, not a single day um, behind bars for that, that does seem extraordinary. And then you think, was it all worth it, given the trauma that the, um, the victim would have had to have gone through to secure that conviction in the first place? Maybe. It would be better if we just abolished Australia and started again. And I'm thinking maybe the way to do it is to just let China invade. <laughs> like, you know. Welcome them in. And maybe you sound like a Victorian, Charles. Uh, I think that's a very big question that we may have to hold over uh, to another podcast. Yeah. Um, 
Before we finish, yeah. Charles, you had your opening night of your show, uh, Wankonomics, last night. Am I right in saying? How did it go? That's How right. was it received? How were the audiences? Dear old Radelaide? Wankonomics is sort of like, a, I think it's probably our mm. best show by a mile. And I think it's just You're simply because prepared. we're appealing, like it's, it's sending up the corporate world and the, and the finance sector and everything like that. And that means that, like, lots of the people who bought tickets to our show were quite rich because they were all the sort of office types who had seen the witty jargon sort of things. And, and they came up afterwards, gave us really good <laughs> for suggestions for new words. I've, I've never heard the word dimensionalise. Have you ever heard the word dimensionalise? Uh, no, I haven't heard that word. You know, um, but I can understand how it well, could be created by people who like to just stretch out and add more yeah. syllables on the end of words. What does yeah, dimensionalise yeah, exactly. mean? Yeah, you want to – yeah, like – Dimensionalise means so. Say you've got a product line. Say you're selling widgets, and you go, "Oh, this is an interesting set of widgets that you're selling." How can we dimensionalise that? Which means, how can we come up with more different types right. of widgets? <laughs> like you know, yeah. you expand yeah. the range of. Say, that just seems like there yeah, are yeah, existing there are. words. That, that... There are. Do the job perfectly well in a more straightforward <laughs> way. Here's me. Banging, banging my drum of uh, you want it. nuance yeah. preservation. We don't need to add more ambiguous words that just and destroy sound the language. Like oh my god! Rubbish. No, no, but but the thing is that yeah, sure, you can have you know the word expand or something like that, but you also want to dimensionalize <laughs> the, the the number of words, don't you? Like yeah. you want to dimensionalize words by creating new words. Diversify. Yeah, there are many. You can have. Um, Charles, this is interesting because yeah. you and I behind the scenes Diversify. have been talking about dimensionalizing yeah. the shot and how to expand it with things like this podcast. And I'm going to start <laughs> using this language. Yeah. Well, maybe we can maybe we can circle back and touch base <laughs> yeah, about that next week. Maybe, maybe, maybe we could dimensionalize the Australian news media landscape oh, and yes. remove certain parts <laughs> of it. Um, certain dimensions, well, so, certain dimensions, yeah, certain <laughs> dimensions of it. Yeah. Um, you know, specifically, <laughs> yeah. I can think of a few, three main culprits who who take up who the, require uh, the main dimensional when combined or flattened. Mm, yeah, because they're they're more, th- you know, because they, they 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 fall into a category of uh, more more akin to to to, to being demonic <laughs> than dim- than dimensional, uh, uh, but that's just of course my opinion, um, and this is a free ish country. Um. <laughs> so I just got to say the show's called Wankonomics, and you can get tickets. We're going on a national tour at wankonomics.com. There we go. There we so go. There we go. Uh, we're looking forward to reading an article by Grace coming up in the shot, um, which is going to touch on some of the crises around um, Fox which are, and Murdoch, which is always fun to read. And we'll be. At- Wasn't that due a week ago, Grace? <laughs> uh, I have been to Darwin, Adelaide, Hobart, Sydney, back, back to, to Adelaide since Thursday. Grace, stop going places. <laughs> oh, I touched down oh, in that Melbourne. It's a l- lot of time to write on the plane. <laughs> you can't write on planes. You need to no. drink small bottles yeah. of wine. And listen to Craig um, McLaughlin <laughs> sing songs. I don't drink. Wow, that story's ridiculous. I'm horrified. I was already scared of flying. Now, now that I know that might happen. <laughs> that he might be unleashed. <laughs> uh, I don't think he gets out quite as much anymore. Thank you all for joining us. Um, Charles, do you want to say the bit that we need to say? Oh, yeah, that's right. Our, our gear is from Road, and we are part of the Iconoclast Network. Uh, we'll catch you next week. There we go. We're all iconoclastic here. Thank you. We'll catch you next week. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.